We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us today is Darren Rhodes. He is a lead academy scout at Preston North End. He's also studying professional diploma in tactical analysis and alongside that there, UCFB student studying talent development. Darren put out one of his scouting reports on LinkedIn recently and asked for feedback and Rather than writing a huge paragraph on what I thought, I enjoyed the process of reading the comments and then wanted to follow up with Darren just on the why and the what and the how behind the process of putting together a scouting report. So we're going to chat about it here and then the conversation moves towards talent development and recruitment scouting with a subjective lens. So we use data in the scouting report and then we move to more subjective topics what if you don't have data? How do you put these reports together? Really, really interesting topic. I hope you enjoy. If you want a copy of the report that Darren put out, he's kindly given us a copy for free to give to the coaches. It's on the website. It's on the link below, modernsoccercoach.com. On the link below in the notes. Please let me know if you enjoy Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram, Modern Soccer Coach on Twitter. Here is Darren. Enjoy. Darren, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honour to be on. So uh, a little bit out of my comfort zone this, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's good to chat with you. No, it's great. It's great. You're, you're a young coach analyst and and ambitious to grow in the game and, and something that we just spoke off off air as opportunities and et cetera, et cetera. But the comfort zone part of it, I would say is something that I, I gravitated towards your report because like I said, we talk so much about scouting. There's a lot out there, but people actually putting practical work examples out in the community is few and far between. And then you put something out on LinkedIn or a, a good report yeah. that I really enjoyed looking at. You asked for some feedback. I thought the feedback was really, really interesting and we're going to get into it. Um, I'll yeah. link the the link to the report below this here so so coaches can have a look at the report. The first question I want to ask you was was basically layout. And, and I know you're, you're on an academic route as well as your coaching work as well. And yeah. where have you got this, this initial framework from and, and how did you put it together? Uh, actually my first my first opposition report um that one so um yeah just rewinding back to what you said it was uh a bit daunting putting it out there online um but yeah i think just with it being my first one i, I kind of just looked at it as if if i was um the head of analysis at a club or if i was head of recruitment what type of things would I want to see? What, what what would I what would I find valuable to learn about an opposition? Just started from there, really, and just started to to build and expand from that. Um, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I think I think just really kind of having in mind what uh, what I thought I would find useful if I was in that role. Um, yeah, just started to build from there, really. Uh, like I said, it, it's my first one, so um, I'm I'm certain there'll be bits missing. Um, there's probably some bits where might have gone into too much detail or not enough detail, but um, and that really was the reason for, for putting it out there online as well, because um, LinkedIn's a massive space, isn't it, that can be used for for all sorts of networking. But I thought connected with quite a few um, experienced, well, various different people in football, and I just thought if one of them comes back and, and offers me some sort of feedback, can then take that on and and and. Uh, hopefully progressing to my next report as well so yeah linkedin is a great space i think for for analysis and genuine people who are working in the game and that are trying to share information in the game I, I, in my opinion i think it's it's overtaken twitter as a platform for for analysis yeah uh, to be fair i'm quite new quite new to linkedin definitely since starting university i think um the more you hear people talk about it and the opportunities that you can um you can get through it as well 
um, and just linking linking in um, with, uh, with with like like-minded professionals as well, sharing that common interest. Um, I've yeah, in the past couple of months, I've I have kind of gravitated towards um, instead of instead of waking up and scrolling through Instagram. Now I have a quick scroll through LinkedIn to yeah. see what's going on. So. Uh, that's- <laughs> Yeah, we're not, just to be clear, this episode isn't sponsored by LinkedIn, no. but I do the same <laughs> thing. I, I've i now downloaded it on my phone and I've deleted Twitter. And yeah. now I don't spend a lot of time on it, but I, I just generally find that it's it's straight up football content, more specific to the the area you're in. Yeah, the aspect of um, where you started, I'm I, like, I'm, I'm really interested in, you mentioned there about, information too much too little and and obviously that there kind of gets a little bit of dialogue with feedback i i'm really really interested in how these are structured and how they're laid out and basically what your starting point is and you started and i thought was really unique where you've talked about the match conditions pitch conditions uh, alongside recent results and then you know recent lineups is it a uk thing that that the match conditions because of the weather and pitches over there? Or what, what's your thoughts behind that? To be fair, like I said, it, this was my first opposition report and um, it, it's not something that I'm, it's not something that I do in my, in my part-time role as a scout. Um, I'm, I'm employed as a, a grassroots and academy scout. So my focus generally is, is, is to go and watch individual players rather than watch teams. So, Again, it was just kind of going back to what what type of things, if I, if I was reading this report, what type of things would I find useful? And I, and I think, you know, if if teams have a certain style of play, it's it's great to it's great to look at the the result of the match and say, oh yeah, this happened, and this is perhaps why it happened, and these things could have happened. Um, but if you look at things, so if you've got like a particular style of play. Um, that's suited to a slippery surface. So if you like to move the ball around fast and you was on a slippery surface, has that then contributed to the result? I guess you'd never know because you've played the match on that pitch and on that surface. You can't play that exact game again on a different pitch, so you don't know if the result will be different, but could have helped. Or again, if you're looking at the form of teams, they could have been on a a four-match winning streak and then come up against a team where um, I mean, it's not unheard of for, for, for managers to instruct the groundsman to grow the grass a little bit longer for, for certain games. And so then you can kind of contrast the two and say, oh, well, yeah, if you're looking at the form, this team might have lost there, but there was playing away and it was a really, um, I don't know, a really windy night and this team likes to play long balls. So it, it might it might not be. But I just thought, you know, could that be a contributing factor to 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 results, or or in particular how that result played out on that night as well? The the form guy is really interesting. That's something that I've I've probably over only about the last twelve months have I started seriously looking at that before going into an opposition report because, and I don't know how you feel about this. You might you might disagree with this. I feel that the the worse the results, the more variances in the team's setups. And in my experience, the better if a team's coming off a 10, five, uh, rarely 10, five game, three game winning streak, you see more consistencies with behaviors and, and lineups. What do you think of that? No, yeah, I completely agree. If uh, it's that old adage, isn't it? If it's um, if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, and and conversely, if the team is off the back of a three-match losing streak, the manager might be trying something different in that game as well. So I don't I don't think I mean listen, form can't be the most important thing. Otherwise, all the bookmakers would be going out of business, wouldn't they? The, the, the you know the, the form books constantly like, consistently being ripped up. But I think it can be a contributing factor, like you say, if if something's been going well for a team, they, they may be consistently. Um, Using the same lineup, using the same playing style, same tactics, and and again, if, if if things have been going wrong, they might bring in some youth players. They might try a different style of play. Um, so I think with the opposition report, I, I think just 
information is information is key there i think there's many different parts of information you can you can pull to try and build that report uh, and that was just one i can't say that i've i can't say that i've read extensively other opposition reports to say that oh i've noticed that they all mentioned the weather or the form or the pitch conditions but for myself i just thought it could it could be something that could be of interest um i think the key thing to the opposition reports is is that you, you might give it to a manager you, you might spend i spent quite a few hours on, on doing that opposition report you could spend quite a few hours doing the opposition report and the manager could just read the back page go through the strengths and weaknesses it, it kind of depends on on the club that you're working for and their philosophy and and how much of that information they want to actually absorb but i think if you can put as much information as possible in that opposition report then it's then up to the the reader to decide which bits of it they want to use no, I completely agree. Uh, I think as an analyst, I think you've got to be okay then, or a scout, you've got to be okay probably spending a good six, seven days looking and going through and being up late and being okay with the fact that it might sit on the desk and it might not be opened or you might send something that they may not be as enthusiastic about it as you are because ultimately that's up to... Your responsibility is up to the coach, right? It's not up to, to you to wow anyone. It's the information that you're you're trying to get consistent. Yeah, sure. But like I said, this with this opposition report and and um the next couple that, that I'm planning to do, they aren't really for a club. I've not been asked to do them by anybody. Um so I, I kind of am it's it's me it's me trying to trying to upskill, trying trying to um add a bit more to to my uh, my my scouting skills, mm. um, <clears throat> so I, I kind of am just going and doing it how I would want to receive it. But then you know, if you was if, if you was working for a club, I would imagine that the club would have certain criteria that they would want you to be looking for. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I guess there's no real right opposition report, is there? It's it's what's right for the receiver, basically. Yeah, well, it brings us along, along nicely because what you're saying is what what clubs want. Like the two the two things that I think are non-negotiables today are are shape and and data. Like how does it align? And, and you've got both of them in there. Interesting thing with shape is when you when you see shape or when you're presenting shape for coaches in your eyes, and you say like how you would like to receive it. Would would you look at at shapes and formations? Would you look at in possession? Out of possession, would you do both changes that are made? How would you navigate around that crazy world? For me personally, I'm a massive overthinker. So I, w- I would want all of the bits of the information and I would probably study it for hours and hours and hours, um, trying to figure out how we can utilize all that information to win the match. Um, so yeah, so if I was receiving, I would want all I would want as much information, whether that's in possession, out of possession um how did how they set up at corners free kicks um and then try and again i don't know again i think it goes back to to the club that you're at so if you're at if you're at a club that let's say let's say for argument's sake a man city who are you know the european champions premier league champions going into the world club championship it's fair to assume that they have belief in their own ability so i wonder how much they actually concentrate on what the opposition can do to them because they know that they have the firepower within the within the ranks to to hurt an opposition whereas if you're a team struggling at the bottom of the division you might be more concentrating on how you can stop a team doing what they normally do um so i think uh, yeah i think it has to be with context really um but for me personally i would want to know how how can we hurt them what are the weaknesses? Can we identify them? How can how can we um, impose our game on them? And at the same time, how can we stop them from doing what they normally do? And I guess you'd probably have to try and find somewhere in the middle to, to deploy your tactics. Hello, coaches. We'll take a quick break here. If you're a coach who is looking for some feedback alongside your scouting reports, your analysis processes, IDP layouts, or just how to align data with prep, or game review. I have a couple of slots open in the next three weeks. I don't advertise these consultation opportunities because 
I don't have them very often. And I also keep the conversations confidential so I don't post about coaches' game models or processes in order to promote anything with Modern Soccer Coach. But over the festive break, if you're looking at jumping on a call to take a look at some processes, get some feedback, or even upskill yourself in one or two areas, you can just shoot me an email, gary at modernsoccercoach.com, and we can set up a call. It's not free. I do charge for my time, but it's an extremely low rate, and I take great pride in giving value and maximizing your time with it. So let me know, gary at modernsoccercoach.com, if you're looking at jumping on a call and talking about some of your processes around analysis and data. Over the break, slots will fill up fast, so give me a shout right away, gary at modernsoccercoach.com. Thank you. I really like the individual aspects of your report. A couple of questions on that there. Someone. Someone, you've written quite, like you said, about uh, a lot of information. There's quite a bit of information, and a lot of the feedback that you got was, hey, a little bit text-heavy in certain aspects mm-hmm. of it. And that's an area, another reason why I really connected with the report is because something that I've been thinking of quite a lot in recent years almost is, now I think the writing's got a lot of value because someone's got to read it. And if they've got to read it, they've got to spend time. And there's, if you have something in its place, someone might just glance over it. So what's your thoughts on the feedback about the text? And I guess, do you agree with that feedback or do you still feel strongly that the text needs to be there? I think going back to the fact that um, this is something that I'm, I'm doing voluntarily and nobody has asked me to go out and do it. I've designed it how I would want to receive it, but we all i think we all learn in different ways don't we some some people some people prefer to read some people prefer to see the the diagrams the graphs the charts um in terms of that feedback i kind of just took it as that's that person's opinion their their preferred learning style um i think i would back myself that I could create a report that was very text heavy or I could create a report that was graphic heavy, could do something that's in between. Um, And I think it goes back to who's asking you to do the report Um, because ultimately they will probably give the instruction of, this is going to go to the manager. It will literally spend five minutes with it. We want as much imagery as possible so it can get back on the grass. Or it might be the case that, yeah, the manager likes to spend, he puts aside two hours um, during the week to to have a, a good read of the report. So depends who's asking you to do it in, into how you um, lay out the reports, I think. Um, but the, the way that I did it in my report is because I've kind of, I've not done it under anybody's instruction. I've, I've done it how I would like to receive it. So I think there probably is a balance in between the two. Um, I think, uh, particularly with things like the stats, so there's things like XG, um, attempted crosses, that sort of stuff, that could be probably condensed into a bit of a smaller area and just represented by graphs. But then also you don't get any context really from data. So I think there has to be that written word as well to kind of explain what's going on in the graph. That makes sense. 100%. Yeah, that's that's really, really interesting. I would... I would definitely be like I, I think reading it is is really really powerful, and and but I would be so biased in that there. Like I enjoy, I've always enjoyed reading about football. Enjoy reading match reports, but what also jumped out to me was your your language. Like I've I've read a lot of scouting reports, and actually quite recently was given feedback to a young analyst. I was telling them that it's in the you, how you how you generalize is good bad that's not a you know i hit i hit the subjective versus objective because both of them have a value but saying something's good and something's bad or something's great and then over generalizing that it happens all the time when you know in a match that well if you get three behaviors in a certain way it's a lot you know no one does everything all the time that just at at the elite level there's so much variance in these games um, your language was excellent. I thought your language was fantastic. Is that something that you're you're learning to develop, or is that something that you're you're just that comes natural? I, I agree with what you're saying. The, the devil's in the detail, isn't it? So 
you could have, I'm trying to think of an example now, you could have two sprinters, take it away from football, you could have 200 metre sprinters, um, let's say in the Olympics. Well, they're both good because they're in the Olympics, both good sprinters. One of, Only one of them can win. So what makes the one who wins the better sprinter? And I think, yeah, if you, you can fall into a trap of generalising attributes when you're scouting. I wouldn't say it's something um, that I consciously try with, but I think going back to what you said there, not everybody does everything all of the time. And so you might you might see something in a game, something that a player does in a game. The game's been played for 90 minutes, and if you've only seen it once, you can't say, well, this player's excellent at doing this all of the time because you've only seen it once in 90 minutes we can say on occasion player x did x uh, action x y and z um, and had some success from it and i think i think i kind of learned that maybe subconsciously i think um through through the role that i've had up to now so my um my previous experience in in scouting is uh, I've, I've always been an academy scout um, so working with grassroots players and academy players, you're going out and watching the individual player and then you have to put recommendations on that player to try and get them into the club. And so if you say, oh, this, again, let's just use sprinting for an example. This, this player is a, a really good sprinter and then comes into the academy environment and perhaps isn't as good a sprinter as everyone else that we've got there. You're kind of then responsible for what you put in the report of saying who's oh, a really good sprinter so i think you i think you always have to to kind of give context to that to say um on today's viewing from what i saw player x displayed the ability to be able to sprint kind of saying the same thing but you you you're not you're just not being very general with it. You're going right into the detail. Uh, and I'm using sprinting just as an example off the top of my head, but you could use that with passing, shooting. Uh, for example, if you say, oh, player X is an excellent finisher, and then he goes into it. It might have been in that game that he was watching, but then goes into the academy and can't hit a barn door. That That's a reflection on me as a scout then, because head of recruitment's looking at me and saying, mm, he said he was an excellent finisher. You can't. I don't. I don't think you can say with confidence unless you go and watch a player in every single match in his life and then reflect back on it and say, "Oh, yeah, he was an excellent finisher." Um, I, I think you just need to to give the give facts, not opinions. Say what you saw there and then, and what you believe that could translate into. Um, yeah, I'd, it's it's not something that I consciously try and do. It's it's just uh, I think over time. Just perhaps having my guard up about perhaps scout's reputation and and things like that. Ultimately, wanting to stay in the job, yeah. so you've, you've yeah. kind of got to protect your reputation in, in that sense. So it's probably probably just evolved from that. I would say the reason why I asked is is well, obviously it stood out to me, and I wanted to say that. But I I wonder is it being taught, and I, and if it's not being taught, I think it needs to be taught because you mentioned there about accuracy. And you also credibility. And if you're reading a report, even alongside data where you've got, like you say about subjectivity and objectivity, but I've seen data reports saying the player always shoots centrally. We've got data to match that up. Like, all right, brilliant. So that it all should be central shots. And there's a heavy density of central shots. And there's three, four, five, whatever. Well, th those aren't objectively not central shots. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, you, you just got to be very careful with your word. And so in that example, you could be um, player X often chooses to shoot centrally. So you, you're kind of saying the same thing, aren't you? But you're just kind of guarding yourself as well because form can change in football. Who you think is an excellent player over the past three games might pick up an injury and never, never get back to themselves. But if you put in writing... Oh, this player is X, Y, and Z. You're you're kind of accountable for that. So, yeah, I always I always try and be factual rather than opinionated. Yeah. I saw this, you know, rather rather than, oh yeah, he's good at 
so yeah it, it, it's a very slight nuance isn't it but but it, it makes a lot of difference and i think as well just going back to the generalizations it's my job if i see a going to the academy scouting if, if i see a player who i believe has potential it's my job to get them into the academy and so if my report just says he's good at this he's good at that he's bad at that probably going to get ripped up and thrown in the bin. I want my head of recruitment to be excited about, or as excited as I have been about watching the player. So I think the more you can kind of in, kind of get that across in your message with more descriptive words than just good, bad, indifferent. Um, so again, that probably just feeds into the to the way I naturally just write yeah. the reports. I guess it's really interesting. Like I I I don't think. It's not creative writing in terms of, you know, you're not having to make a story up or player X received no. in half space. But in the same time, you're right. Like, you've got to be able to engage a reader on if we're going to talk about the written word. And, and you said it before about data. If you present data as data, then I, I just think that's 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 a data provider's job almost. You know, like a wise scout, a stats bomb can provide that. The advantages of a scout is that the scout has the ability to see and the ability to analyze and spot trends and give context. And there's so much value to both. But if you put them both together, then your language has to be it has to be on point. And I really I'm really fascinated by the fact that if your language is like you said there, if you don't have data. So let's talk about that. You don't have data to go to an under-15 game to, to scout. What advantages does data give you when you have it? And what? how do you have to make that up? Like, Can you compare the two worlds? When you have it, you've got to be very careful with it. Because like, like we said before, data doesn't give you context. It does just give you raw numbers. So when you when you have it how i like to use it um i can only really speak in in like these opposition reports that i've been doing or or any other practice reports that i've been doing um i like i like to use it to confirm what i've seen so if a if a player passes the eye test and i'm interested in the player um i will then maybe have a look at the data and does it back up what i think i've seen um that's an advantage to it you could I, I would tend not to use it the other way around so i wouldn't look at the data first and then go and watch the player because you it's almost giving you a, a bias um and it, there's no context to it so you could have let's say if you're going to look at a winger and the data says uh yeah, he's got 90% successful dribbles in this match. So in your head, you're thinking, interesting. I'm looking for a winger. The player can dribble. Um, but it doesn't tell you what happens after that dribble. Might have run it out on, on past the past the corner flag, um, you know, on, on eight of those occasions. And so I think you've got if you if you look at the data first and then try and watch the player afterwards, I think sometimes you, you can unconsciously try to try to see the things that you've already seen in the data whereas for me i like to watch the player and then see if i can confirm what i think i've seen using the data like i said we don't have that in grassroots football so it is it is very very different um and you kind of you can you, you can't so you go you'll you go and watch a match let's say without any target players in mind um make your reports on the match if a player particularly stands out, you might then go and follow them up. Um, and in that situation, I'll be I'll be looking to reinforce what I thought I saw in the first game, but then also watch with a bit more, maybe focus more on that player rather than the match itself. Um, and just like really drill down into what it is that they do that is good, um, or or where they or where they can improve. Uh, you don't have data to help you with that um in grassroots and academy football so it really is just a case of collating your reports um so i'll probably go if it's a player of interest i will probably go anything between two to four times to watch them um, before i make a decision either way 
Um, and it's really then just a case of reflecting on my previous reports and have I consistently seen the things that I like? Um, or has the player been very up and down? In which case it might be we'll monitor them for a bit longer. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of just going off what you see, but not not um, not being impulsive with it, having having a bit of a case study to look back on and say, let's say if we're talking about shooting, yeah, he, he was an accurate shooter in game one, game two, game three, game four. Right, okay, that kind of confirms what I thought about him then. So it is data in a sense, but it's your own data. It's the stuff that you've recorded, the stuff that you've noted down, and then to go back and reflect on that. Yeah. yeah, it's what the definition of data is. I'm, re I'm reading a book at the minute on uh, tanking to the top. Philadelphia 76ers NBA team basically losing on purpose to secure higher draft picks. Um, mm. and, I, and I thought I wouldn't enjoy it, and I, I'm just glued to it. I just can't wait to read it every day. And uh, one of the interesting things is that they've got a data guy who's who's running it, and it, it it's the... It's what he's defining as data to get his information. He's he's still got the old school NBA scouts, but he's placing a premium on every single data point. Like a player's attitude, body language is a data point. And sometimes I think that looking linking that back to soccer is that there's always going to be an extreme when people are trying to present whether are we all going to go in the data direction? Are we all going to keep watching? I think the ability to navigate between both is is obviously going to be very very important, even at the youth level. I would suspect in the next five years. Yeah, definitely. I do. I do think as as technology evolves and the and the game evolves, do see it going more the data way. The higher up, the the, the higher you go, I think it's got it is going to be more data led, but. I don't think your traditional scouts would, would ever be replaced. Yeah. Um, so I think, like you said before, if if all you wanted was the data, well, you could just go and pay a wide scout or opter for that. You need somebody to be able to interpret that data and, and then translate it almost into footballing terms as to what it means. Um, things like your XG, your... Um, your expected assists, your expected goal involvement, things like that. Like you, you need to kind of take that information and then translate it into football language for the people who want who who want to use that information. I think so. I think the role of the scout might change slightly, but I don't think the traditional scout will ever be surplus to requirements. Hopefully. I don't think so either. Even even to go an extra layer on that, I would say that what the scout gives you beyond the the game itself, the connections to maybe an agent, credibility, like and and yeah. I just finished a, a chapter in the book last night where he where because they were cutting a lot of players and, and the club had a reputation of a lot of movement, an agent didn't want to send their players to them uh, for a for a tryout, which was almost unheard of in NBA land, and. A scout can help give you information that hey, listen, they're on the they're on the hook with this club or something like that there, and those informal pieces of information I would imagine are really, really, really beneficial in a recruiting landscape, even at youth level. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Going and finding the best footballer on the pitch is probably the easiest part of the job. Most most people could do that. Most people could go and identify who's a good player. Um, the the difficulty, not the difficulty, but I think where um, a scout shows their strengths is with their networking, um, with their information. Can you be in the right place at the right time? Mm. Particularly with grassroots football, you could be covering a vast area. If you don't have any network of any sort of description, you're kind of going and watching blind. Because I don't know what it's like over in America, but with with the youth football over here, they don't publish results or league tables up until under 12s, um, which I'm fully behind. Um, you know, the kids should be playing for fun uh, and not for not for results. Um, but in terms of wanting to kind of gauge where the good teams and the good players are, that's without a sort of network, that's practically impossible um, for a scout. So if you have 
network of people around who might give you a call on a Saturday night and say, oh, you want to get down to such and such on, on Sunday morning and watch Team X for Player Z, it makes your job so much easier. Um, so I think that networking part of it is, is, is crucial. And like I say, data can't give you that. I think the big thing as well is um, looking at the psychological corner of the player. Uh, I've not researched into it, so I'm not 100%, but uh, I'd struggle to see where data would help you with that. So, for example, um, how resilient is the player? How did he face certain challenges? What's the temperament like? You could maybe get a gauge for it from from data but going and watching that and seeing that with the eye i, I think is is the best way of, of gauging that and it's an important thing that you're looking for especially if you're looking to take um, a player into an academy it's a different environment um and uh, to for us to do our due diligence we kind of need to be as sure as we can that the players could can handle that emotionally psychologically um you can never be sure but I don't think, I'd, as far as I'm aware, there isn't any data out there that can help you with that. That's kind of just watching the game and seeing how the player reacts to certain situations. So, um, yeah, that, I, I learned that as a as a college recruiter. I I worked at a at a school and I was an assistant coach, and I'd come from being a head coach at a at a Division Two school. This was Division One, and then it was Nate, Nate Lee. His name is I'm sure a lot of American listeners will know. He just actually got the job at Kansas, big big college job. And um, I had, as a, as a head coach of a smaller school, I was always, it was just, just talent evaluation. You know, you go there and you see a player and you try and get them signed. But this was a bigger school with a bigger infrastructure. Division one, it was being recruited earlier and a lot more competitive in terms of the recruiting landscape. And, and he sent me, I'll never forget it, he sent me to Detroit, Michigan for my first kind of recruiting assignment. And I, and I was actually disappointed during the match that he, that there was better players than the one that he sent me to. And um, and they hadn't committed to school. So I went back and I was like, listen, watch the player, but why didn't you send me to watch two or three other players? There was two or three other players. About bang, 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 named them, named uh, their what they were going to do. They just hadn't committed yet. All the information, then knew that player that we were watching could get a different deal who was looking for a different major and all these things that I went away going, it would have took me a month to research all what he said. He didn't even tell me it, you know? Um, but but the but yeah. what my learning was and, and, and what I think was really cool, uh, it gives you a little bit of humility that I think sometimes the data, not, not gets you lazy, but sometimes it, it gets you a false sense of security that that's enough. But in reality of professional football, we just talked about it with the scout. Like you need to constantly check, recheck, question, challenge, all these things, because that's how you, you get the, the coach what they want at the end of the day. Sure, sure. It's it's um it's an it's an important um it's an important tool to have in your toolbox, but you need the toolbox, I think. Um yeah, I don't think you can overlook the data, but I would be hesitant to rely solely on it as well within my evaluation. Mm. See, see, when you're talking about the report for your your current role with, with Preston North End, and, and you don't have to go into specifics of what that is, but comparing that to a scouting report where you have the video and the visuals and the data, even taking visuals and, and video out of it, what would a report for a young recruitment what would that entail like visually how would that look in terms of a layout yeah not much uh, we, so we don't um don't do visual reports like the ones that are that, that are posted on linkedin um it's normally a case of type it up on my notes on my mobile uh whilst i'm watching just sh very shorthand bullet points things that will remind me to um expand on when i when i write my proper report um and then every, every club um right every professional club um in england uh, uses a system called the pma it's issued by the premier league um i think it stands for player manager application but i might be wrong on that one it's basically a central database so 
you go and put your report on there. It then uh, emails it straight through to the head of recruitment, um, sends it through to coaches, etc. So it's kind of held on the just as a like, like word format, if you will. But then let's say if you're at a club um, and three or four different scouts end up reporting on the same player and it's all positive, that kind of rings an alarm bell for the head of recruitment to be like, well, four different people have seen this player now and all said the same thing. We maybe need to be, to be making a move. Um, so it kind of, yeah, it gets uploaded onto there. Um, and then the club can use that for other tools as well. So not our report as such, but the the application, the database that it's on, they can, if a club comes in, if a player comes in on trial with the club, um, they can give feedback to the to the player and the player's parents via the same application. Um, so it is just, a, you're constantly just adding to the database, if you will, but that's where, that's where we send our reports into. Do you think in 10 years with, with obviously the rise of the video providers and the AI and the fact that with these cameras you can set them up and and they'll they'll probably be automatically tracking players without GPS in the next whatever years. Do you think that your your world of youth recruitment will start to change where you you will be adding more video to the report, or do you think that's even needed at that at that age? difficult really isn't it because i think so my 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 role is kind of split in two one is where i'll go and watch uh grassroots footballers so that's literally uh um amateur football um and then the other side is going and watching um academy games so um other professional clubs academy players i think on the academy side i think Again, definitely the higher up you go, where the money is, can't see any reason why um, technology wouldn't be um, implemented and, ad and advanced in that way. Those players were already in that environment um, and perhaps is another challenge for them to face to see how they kind of um, how they react to, to knowing that well, I'm being filmed um, in, in almost everything that I do. Um, because I guess if you make it as a professional footballer, chances are you're at least on match of the day once a week with everybody watching what you're doing. So, um, yeah, I, I, on that side of things, I think it would be, I can't see any reason why not. In the grassroots game, I, I don't know. I think there has to be, I don't want to professionalise it too much. And I think if if you start turning up at your local your local park with, all the cameras and the analysis tools. Don't get me wrong. Most most players would love to become a professional footballer, but, but some are just playing for fun, want to be playing with their friends. Um, and I think if you take if you take all that tech and all those advancements into the grassroots game, you you're almost professionalising it for them, um, which is kind of contradictory to to what they're trying to do. I think so. I wouldn't like to see it come into grassroots football. Um, uh, even even in terms of, of uh, when I'm attending as a scout, I will uh, I'll communicate with the manager before I attend so that they know that I'm going to be there. Other than that, I try and be as incognito as as possible. Um, but I, I think I think the players, especially at that age, should just be enjoying the game. I think and, and not be worrying about the pressures that come if you do if you if you do end up making it as a as a pro because there's plenty of time for that later on yeah i was thinking more of it from uh the club basically provides you know in in 2035 or every club going to upload their their footage and and have a server and then all of a sudden you know then you've got a instead of having a white scout where you've got a professional older player senior player on there do you have a do you have white scout for a for a seven eight year old you know and I'm guessing the same, like the same answer is professionalizing it to a stage where it's so yeah. you take away a lot of it. And I get, yeah, I guess you've probably got the safeguarding risks as well. Oh yeah, yeah. probably, probably, probably some children who don't either don't want to be recorded or aren't allowed to be recorded, 
who has access to that data. Um, I think the, techno the technology being there is a good tool for those that want to use it. But I think I think that's I think that's the key is they should they should have the choice of if they want to use it. Whereas if it's just brought in at club level and regardless of who you are, you're going to be filmed. Not not every player wants that. Not every player wants that. So yeah, the, yeah. I haven't considered it before, but yeah, just just think just thinking on my feet. I think I mean you you'll see it on YouTube. There'll, there'll be players who you know they will film their own games and they'll clip them up and they'll put together a nice little highlight reel and they'll send it off to agents or send it off to scouts. I think they're being proactive and they obviously have a goal that they want to achieve and they probably don't mind the professionalism side of it. Um, but I would say that they're choosing to do that. Whereas if the club or if the league implemented it and it was a blanket thing, don't know. I, I, I don't know if I don't, those that, that are just playing for fun, don't know if you maybe lose some players from the game there, which Obviously, we wouldn't want to see. So, sure, yeah, for sure. Interesting topic. Mm. Um, last couple for you. You're you're sure. uh, alongside your work and and in the recruitment and scouting. You're also then doing your study at, at UCFB as well. What? Yeah. And and I spoke to you before we start recording about the fact that in America, where where the land of a lot of investment and a lot of video and a lot of scouting. Actually, there's there's not many schools, if any, that I know of that have football analysis and soccer analysis. What have you? What's the biggest kind of areas that that the educational route has helped you when you're kind of living that experience at the same time? Um, I think gives you gives you the reasoning why you're doing a lot of things i think so especially when you know when we're in seminars and, and lectures i feel like i have the experience that um that, that would be into i'm by far the oldest one in my in my, in my class by the way um but see i feel i have the experience of the things that um are being talked about um but never I guess never really known why I've been doing those things, or it's kind of just been like, well, this is what you do. Whereas when you go and you you're in that academic setting and you're really drilling down into the the whys and whats and and the, the theory side of it, um, it, kind of gives you a bit more of an awareness of. Well, I have been doing those things subconsciously, not knowing that I should have been doing those things anyway, but now I know why I'm doing them and and to what end, how, how it's benefited me, how it's benefiting the player, how it's benefiting the club that I'm working for. So, yeah, it definitely helped with the rationale side of things, I would, I would say. Um, UCFB, I think, I think they're celebrating the, maybe the 10th year this year. So, you know, even, even they themselves, it, it's a relatively new thing to be able to go to a university and study football. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't around when I, when I left school. Mm. Um, I would have been there much earlier if it was, but um, yeah, no, I, I just think it's a great opportunity. The game's growing, it's changing, it's evolving, and I think the more people we can educate to get into those roles within clubs, the better for me. Yeah, so it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's moving that fast that you know to teach like to how long's mathematics been around and and <laughs> syllabus around out there, you know, like that these. My kids come home with a seven-year-old who's coming home with math now. It looks a lot different to what what I was learned. You know, I thankfully I don't have to do any of it with them. Yeah. Whenever yeah, I can imagine. football is is moving so fast that I'm that I would mm -hmm. think that to try and keep up with that and then tear it to where you're teaching it, it's amazing. Yeah. That's that's an art oh, in yeah. itself. Yeah. No, again, I think probably the syllabus is in. And the classes that they that they teach will probably look different in three years' time to to what they do now, and they probably look different now to what they did three years ago. Because, like you said, there's so many, there's always different things happening in football, isn't there? That's why, yeah, it's the beautiful game, isn't it? Because it's just it never stands still. It's always evolving. There's always something new to learn. Um, yeah, so I'm enjoying being the students of the game. Someone's gonna listen to this and say, "Ah, oh, we need to add writing analysis, writing." Thanks to this interview, because we've <laughs> probably not. Um, last one for you. The the 
the coach analyst role, big, big talking point over the last few years about people upskilling in different areas. Um, how do you see that? You mentioned before we start recording about that's an area that, that you want to make sure that you get the coaching side of it as well. How important is it? Um, do you think it's a difference maker right now or do you think it's it's almost a necessity? I think to be a successful analyst, I think, I think you need some level of coaching experience, especially if you look at, let's say, the, the player analysis route, uh, performance analysis. If you're going to go to a player with an iPad and say, oh, you did this, this and this good, but you could have done this, this and this better. I think firstly, you need to understand what this, this and this is and how it contributes to the game. Um, but secondly, if you want that buy-in from the player, I, I, I think you kind of, you need to have served your time um, in, in, in a sense. If you was to go in there with no coaching experience, it, it's kind of um how do you get the buy-in from the player how, do, how does how does the player trust trust you I, I think you wouldn't get a manager or be very rare that you would find a manager who goes in and manages a football club who has had no experience in football they might have not been a great player but they probably have played the game up, up to some level um so yeah so I, I think to be a good analyst you do need that that coaching knowledge don't think it. I don't think it goes the other way around. I don't think you need to have been a good analyst to become a good coach. Um, but for me, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just on. I'm on a learning journey at the moment. I'm just trying to upskill in as many areas as I can. See which bits I find interesting. See where I'd like to to take that career. But I think the more bits and pieces you can you can pull from from each each role and each and each. Um, uh, each role within a club, I think the more you can learn from them, definitely for somebody who's looking to get into the football industry full-time, uh, uh, it can only help, I think, because the more moving parts you understand, the more valuable you can be to a club, would be my opinion. If I was hiring somebody, I would look for somebody who has shown that desire to learn extra bits and pieces, not just done, not just tick the boxes to get where they need to be kind of thing. So, um, yeah, and... I love football, so for me, like it's not really a chore to go and learn all the other bits and pieces about it. I guess. Brilliant, brilliant, great way to finish it. Thank you so much, Darren. It's been absolutely brilliant. Really, really enjoyed it. Enjoyed uh, kind of getting your thoughts behind everything, and then obviously your journey and your insights on on different aspects of it. First class. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach kernine on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com